0: Hello, welcome to the Smarticle Podcast. Each day on the show, we take an interesting idea or topic and dissect it. All we ask of you is that you give us 15 minutes so that we can entertain you. And maybe, just maybe, you might learn something new.
1: Oh my goodness, do we have a treat for you today. As we get to hang out with Barry Hoffner, founder director of Caravan to Class, which does a couple of different things from building and supporting elementary schools and rural villages around Timbuktu. Yes, that's an actual place. Also, Caravan supports female adult literacy programs and a university scholarship. Barry, you seem like a pretty cool, cool guy. I cannot figure out why you'd want to hang out with us, even for just a few minutes. Well, to be honest, it's because of Brandon. I mean, he was
2: uh, my kid's favorite teacher and always oh. a good guy. So, uh,
1: yeah. Okay. That's the main reason. Okay. Okay. So what I like to say about your story is that you're mostly a normal guy like the rest of us and then life just intervenes and you start this amazing relationship with a random town in Africa. How do you encourage normal people like us that life could be out of the box or a different journey if we just let it?
2: Yeah, great question. Well, first of all, I'm super lucky to have like tasted adventure when I was very young, uh 18 and kind of like that led me to kind of always looking for that Uh, so to answer your question, I think the important thing is like, I guess the way I look at it is there are like few very brilliant, like game changing people in the world, like a Steve jobs or Bill Gates, the rest of us are relatively normal. And I think the ones that kind of have richness in their life, they take those floating opportunities that pass in front of us and, and actually grab them and take the first step. I mean, we, it's hard to envision like when you start, when you, you, you start something, where it can go and if you try to do that it becomes overwhelming so my idea is like just look for signs and look for stuff that sounds cool to you inside
0: and then just take a step that's my answer okay well before we go too far into that which is a great answer to that question i was first introduced to you obviously through your kids but through caravan to class where they did this presentation where you brought this whole group of people over from mali africa uh, Mali being a landlocked country, it's, it's right. mostly sub-Saharan, uh, right? So mostly desert, except for in the West. Number one, why did you choose Timbuktu in Mali? I know that it was the original capital of the Ghana Empire. It was called Ghana. It's not Ghana anymore, but it was the Ghanaian Empire, gold streets, all that. So it was a very important city, historically speaking. But what was the thing that made you say, man, I want to go to this country in the middle of the Saharan desert Yeah, sure. So um,
1: I guess
2: first I was approaching my fiftieth birthday. I had uh, sort of put a lot of effort into helping raise my kids. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say like I was having a midlife crisis, but it was kind of like an inflection point for me in the way kind of like seeing my kids grow up. And you know, I'd done a lot of traveling. I lived overseas for sixteen years, and uh, I always had this name that stuck out in my head, like Timbuktu, that I'd read about, and it sounded cool. And I just said, okay, Uh, my fiftieth birthday. I kind of Kind of asked Jackie, my wife, kind of, you know, I'd like to do this trip. The kids were too young. And she said, yeah, go ahead and do it. So um, I took a three-week trip to Mali. Uh, I actually approached Timbuktu on a Pinas That's like a motorized, uh, sort of large motorized canoe. It's a three-day journey from uh, a town called Mopti to Timbuktu. I got there, and they were having the Festival au Desert. It's an old concert that they had in the middle of the desert. Bono played there in 2011. And it was just like an amazing trip It awakened in me kind of the yearning for travel and these exotic places. And I was softened up for uh, one day taking a a camel ride with my guide to a local village uh, and seeing that they had a, a sort of an old mud hut school thing that was sort of dilapidated. I just decided that, you know what, for my 50th birthday, I'm going to build them a school. Uh, We'll try to get friends and family to contribute. If not, we'll fund it ourselves to celebrate my 50th birthday. And so from that was born the idea of caravan to class because that area was historic for the caravans of gold, salt, and slaves, the three most important things back in the day in the 12th century uh, when Timbuktu became a known place.
1: We have this friend named Esther, and she does a lot of work with Sudan. And she, and Sudan's going through a giant civil war, but she always is reminding us of this tiny, forgotten place that everybody in the world doesn't think of. And you've built this connection with these people that are forgotten and have gone through so much. Is it hard for when people, when you say I'm, I started this thing in Timbuktu? Are they like, ah, you're crazy? Or are you like, no, no? It's a really important place. Believe me. Yeah, well, honestly, all you have to do
2: is Google the richest man to have ever lived, and it'll be <laughs> King Mansur Musa uh, from the, the Malian and Songhai Empire dynasty. And so that right there kind of like flashes out at you if, you, you know, if nothing else will. Uh, the second thing is they have the ancient, uh, second most ancient trove of, of manuscripts in the world after the Dead Sea Scrolls that show that area to be a very literate place. Not just for like science and for uh poetry, but even for like uh sexuality and things like that, which are oftentimes taboo in the Muslim culture. So, um, you know, the more you dig, the, the music from there is just crazy. I mean, uh, the, it's the forerunner to blues in the United States. I mean, there's so much to as you start digging to to be interested in,
0: isn't it called um, so? sorry what's that it, what's the name the music is it tourig what's the name of
2: the well, music Well, is one of the local Turing. ethnic groups but um you know the the they have their own sort of special music and uh the beat is really uh i don't know it's really soul-stirring
0: hmm. so when you decided on starting these schools in Mali, what was the impetus i mean and obviously for for both gender but it, it, uh, the Boris Jackie, which is named after your late wife, the the scholarship is for, or is for women from Timbuktu, correct? Sure. So, yeah. So what happened is uh,
2: once I returned from kind of deciding to build that school to see the school built, that was just going to be a one-off project. So that kind of changed me. I was like, this is super cool. I got to do more of this. Uh, at that point, I couldn't really hit up friends and family for any more money. Um, So I started applying for grants. We were a very new foundation, Uh, took a while to get into that gig. But once I did, we became fairly well funded. um, And we started building a school or two a year. We're working on our 18th school right now. These are for um, in rural villages in Timbuktu for elementary school kids for girls and boys. We've educated thousands of kids. I'll never get to know any of them. I will never even get to know whether most of them have learned to read or write. We're just providing a little bit of opportunity for a ton of kids. And after Jackie passed, a donor of mine had always been saying, hey, if you ever see any young women who are educated who want to go to university, I'd be happy to help fund that. And so the idea was born of creating a university scholarship in her name, a very selective scholarship. There are four high schools in Timbuktu. We do a lot of networking and, uh, and publicity raising. We usually get about 50 applicants. We have a, a test that we hold once a year to gain a Borsjaki scholarship. We select the top five scores, and then we just put a ton of resources into them, not just with financing their education, but sending them to Ghana to learn English, having a women's leadership program. We give them laptop computers. And we're really trying to create a future generation of female leaders. And uh, we've just finished our fifth cohort of five scholarship recipients. So we have 25 women. And now we're actually moving on to the rest of, uh, we just announced a month ago, we have a new scholarship for English language for the rest of French-speaking Africa, that's 16 countries under the Borsjaki label. So that'll be, the first one is Borsjaki University Scholarship for Women from Timbuktu. And this one will be Borsjaki English Language Scholarship for Women from French-speaking Africa.
0: I was reading something about when, when I was sort of researching Caravan to class, you had a statement you made that for these women, five a year or so, that they go to graduate school and that it was a intergenerational life change for them. And it really profoundly struck me. I mean, I was kind of choked up. I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy to think that sending, you know, you obviously invest a lot of time and money into these young women, or I don't know how old they are, but women and it changes generations. Of people in this area. And I just don't think in America, we think like that. Is it, it? Can you speak to that a little bit, Barry?
2: Yeah, man, I could speak a long time to that, but I know it's a <laughs> short segment. <laughs> um, so first of all, like what I was saying is before, like thousands of kids that I'll never get to know. Like I know every single one of these women that we have scholarship personally, and I don't know what's that chat with them in French. A lot of them contact me personally, and I've seen where they live in Timbuktu. And uh, one particular, she lives, her family, they grew up in a tent with no running water, no electricity. I saw them when they were 18 and selected. And I see them now. And honestly, man, I could just start crying over that right now. Because to change a life, like to see some and to change a life of somebody like so gracious and so uh, appreciative and wants to so badly be educated, they don't have the resources that we have here in the States. And knowing that they're going to go down and pass that on to future generations—not only just their family, but of their cohort—we get a lot of them to go back to Timbuktu to go to the high schools to talk about their experience. We really feel like you know we are really changing lives, and that's uh, that's very gratifying on a very kind of like selfish level, I guess I would say for me, just because I see it happening in real time.
1: All right, Barry, we've debated traveling here on Smarticle a lot. Like Americans on cruises, popping over to Italy, drinking a couple of cappuccinos, going to a museum and then posting their pictures. (laughs) But you're like a traveler's traveler. How would you encourage an American to be a traveler's traveler like you?
2: Well, I mean, look, traveling is not I mean, traveling is such a broad topic, as you said, you know. And so what I would say is like I call it what I do is extreme travel. So I'm trying to go to every country in the world by the end of next year. I've done 171 countries. I got uh, 22 crazy. left by the end of this year. I'll have 17 left for next year. There's something like 250, 300 people in the world who have been to every country. And wow. I aim to be one of them. So that's a whole different level. But what I would say, it didn't start with that vision. It started with just pushing the boundaries and like so much personal growth and richness in life and connection with the world and stuff comes from just pushing your boundaries a little further. So if you're the person who's only been to see the Eiffel Tower and eaten in a you know four star Michelin hotel in Paris, maybe next time travel the Loire Valley by car or maybe hop on over to Egypt. I mean, some of the things I've seen, like in the last you know, couple years, for example, I'm a fan of ancient Roman history. And man, if you think the Roman, uh, the, the Roman, uh, architecture and old, te- old antique uh, cities and stuff in Italy are good. And you should go to Syria or to Algeria or to Libya. Libya's got an old town called Leptis Magna. That was a town 2,000 years ago for 100,000 people sitting on the sea, almost fully intact. That blows anything I've seen away. Italy built by the Romans. Mm. And they even had three future emperors that came from there. You know, So tying threads of history together as Brandon being a history teacher is something really yeah. cool, man. It just makes the... It, it sort of completes the world in a way. You're no longer like in the dark. And it's not for everybody for sure, but I think it's for a lot more people than they themselves realize. You know, like I, said, I had traveled to 120 countries before I even realized that people travel to every country. It was a dream for me to go a little over a year ago to Baghdad, where my mom was born, to see the areas where her Jewish culture grew up. Like, and I never thought I could do that. I used to talk to my cousin, hey, maybe one day we'll go to Baghdad, like, like we'll go to the freaking moon or something. Um, you know, you just push the boundaries and that's where all the cool things happen. I would say
1: you are an extreme traveler. All right. So we've never hung out with somebody that's been to Timbuktu as much as you have. I have a couple of fun questions, but first in one sense, where is Timbuktu? Yeah, sure. So, uh, it's in Mali. It's in what they call the North.
2: It's in the desert area in like northeast, Um, and just North of that is the road up into Southern Algeria. The desert areas of Algeria, it used to be one big area where the Tuareg roamed, but it was cut up in pieces after the French gave independence to a lot of countries in
1: 1960. The Oxford English Dictionary calls Timbuktu what, Barry? Uh, Let's see. (laughs) You're stumping me there.
2: A city of of 3333 saints?
1: No, they call it the most distant place imaginable. Okay do what you will for that all right so in 1930 dh lawrence wrote his final works nettles about timbuktu complete this last word and the world it didn't give a hoot if his blood was british or Timbuktu. oh oh
0: you're that's horrible larry wow poor barry all right guess i didn't have
2: enough caffeine in me or something my brain my brain's got
0: oh that's awful barry you you have you have nothing to be ashamed about. All right, guy. Hey, listen, if you want to find anything about Barry, caravantoclass.org. Yeah, caravantoclass.org. It has all the information about people in the organization, where you could donate, what they're doing, some bios on some of the students. It's really, really cool. Barry, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us about this. I love what you're doing. I'm super stoked that you're doing it. And I just hope that you continue to do so.
2: Sure. And I'd say lastly, if you're interested in following my travels in Instagram, it's barryh 99 I post pictures and a synopsis of every place I go to, and uh, I will hit the last country, 193, next October.
0: Oh, my God, dude. I'm, you're making me jealous. All right. Thank you, Barry. Thank you.